Welcome to Tell Us Where It Hurts, a conversation around health, well-being, and the many ways people across Central Indiana are offering a helping hand. I'm Chris Kirshner, and our topic today is caring for the caregivers, mental health and well-being of healthcare workers. We start tonight with a look at the crisis unfolding right now out on the front line. Local hospitals are short-staffed and they're over capacity. Local healthcare workers are completely exhausted. Nurses and our caregivers have been battling this for 18 long, long months. And, And they're getting really burned out. They're getting exhausted. Joining me for this conversation, Allison Bordeaux, who's the Executive Director of Operations for Community Fairbanks Behavioral Health. As a licensed psychologist, Allison is passionate about the Community Mental Health Center's mission of providing quality care to underserved and diverse populations. She's a dedicated leader that truly values collaboration, innovation, diversity, program development, and the implementation of high-impact initiatives. And Jenny Volker, who's the Director of Youth Clinical Services for Community Fairbanks Behavioral Health. She's a licensed clinical social worker with over 20 years of behavioral health experience at Community Health Network. Jenny has special interest in the areas of quality clinical treatment of child, adolescent mental health, substance use disorders, trauma-informed care, youth bereavement, suicide prevention, and employee engagement. Alice and Jenny, thank you both for being here. Thank, thank you. you. So the COVID pandemic, certainly it's taken its toll on healthcare workers, especially especially those on the front lines, right, the, who, who've cared for patients, held their hands, acted as a family when family weren't allowed to visit, who've unfortunately watched as many took their last breath. Uh, during this pandemic, often with regret for not doing more to prevent their illness. So, so a lot going on in their world. Recent polling has shown that one in five healthcare workers have quit their job since the start of the pandemic. Another 31% have reported they've thought about leaving their job. So everybody has their reasons, right? And, and that's fine. What are you seeing or what do you think some of those main reasons are for, for getting out of healthcare? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a great question. What we are really seeing really comes back to the caregiver well-being, uh, burnout, exhaustion, given the pandemic, and that's the biggest thing that we're seeing. We are seeing nurses leave to go to travel nursing because of pay, but pay has not really been the the single most important indicator and factor as to why we're seeing this exodus out of healthcare. It really goes back to just that feeling of burned out and just exhausted from everything going with the pandemic. There was a study done by the Middle Health America, about 1,100 respondents of healthcare workers, 93% of the 1,100 were saying they were experiencing significant stress, mm-hmm. 86% reporting anxiety, and 76 reporting exhaustion and burnout. So that just goes to show the impact it's having on our caregivers. It's been relentless. I mean, it's just, it it just I mean, even in our everyday lives, we don't even deal with patients, um, or those of us who don't. It just feels like it's never ending. So I, I'm sure that's really compounded when you're talking about people who are de- dealing with it. Um, firsthand. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, Allison talks about burnout and emotional exhaustion. And I think what we're really talking about is compassion fatigue. So compassion fatigue is the physical and emotional exhaustion and also just the emotional withdrawal that happens when you're caring for people who are sick, people who have experienced trauma day in, day out for long periods of time. It's interesting you mentioned that. We did a recent episode of this podcast uh, where we heard from healthcare workers themselves uh, in an ICU unit. Um, 
very unfiltered account of a typical day at the height of the pandemic. And if you haven't listened to it, I I encourage our listeners to do so um, because you can hear in their voices the exhaustion. You can hear the frustration. You can hear the stress Mm -hmm. um, in their voices. When you talk about compassion fatigue, I remember one of the the caregivers mentioning her fear and and felt like she lost some of that compassion. Even going home after work just just didn't have it in her, Mm -hmm. you know, because it had just been so stressful and exhausting. Mm -hmm. So are you hearing similar Similar mm-hmm. stories. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I, I know that one of um, a, a nurse executive was sharing a story with me about a nurse that was in an ICU unit. And the nurse has been known to be uh, one of those that wakes up happy, goes to sleep happy, right? Just a positive energy, vibrant, vivacious. And she came to her nurse supervisor and said, I, I'm feeling myself change. It's affecting the way that I deliver care. It's affecting the way that I interact with my family. I almost feel my personality changing and I'm becoming jaded. And that's not the type of nurse that I want to be. So she actually asked to be removed from the unit she was on and and basically transitioned to another unit because she was just so concerned about the impact it was having on her and her ability to care for our patients. And and that's exactly like what we're hearing. We are hearing across, uh, really across the board, just burnout and exhaustion. And it and so much of it goes back to the emotional, physical and spiritual well-being of our caregivers. Yeah. You know, and the thing that we also don't talk about enough is that a lot of our nurses coming out of school and, and even in the years, you know, they weren't trained to, to be in hospice care, right? So the whole kind of grief stages and stuff, they've not learned. And when you're experiencing death upon death, it takes such a huge toll. You aren't trained to be able to deal with that. And how do you, how do you grapple with all of that? And then literally have to go into another room in, in two minutes to greet another patient when you just witnessed a death. And there for a while, we weren't even allowing family members yeah. in. Yeah, so they were the ones. They were, they the, were, the, they ones. were the family members. The, yeah. yeah, holding their hands and, and mm-hmm. the connection point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how you take that with you. Mm-hmm. It would be very difficult to not take that with you oh, yeah. and affect you. And, you know, different regions, again, I, I think kind of unfortunately driven by politics, um, definitely percentages up in the like Kokomo Howard region of unvaccinated is much greater than down here, and especially even Hamilton County. And they are now having healthcare workers like in scrubs, like go into a gas station or whatever. They're being heckled, and it's like so. That's why you know coming back to healthcare workers are heroes. Like, please, like you don't understand. You're you never know when you're going to go in. It may not be for COVID, but you're not going to have a nurse take care of you. You know. Um, so you never know when you're going to need them. So why are you treating them this way? And I'm sure that impacts their families, too. So it's not just impacting them individually when they go home and they are, you know, feeling that compassion fatigue that their families feel it, too, and people in their communities. Right. So mm-hmm. it's got this ripple effect. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Yeah. And it affects care. You know, when you are, you know, as Jenny pointed out, you know, fatigued with compassion, it affects the way that you deliver care to the patients. You know, your decision making may be a little bit more poor, you're exhausted, you're not able to think on your feet, you may even have apathy, poor concentration, and then you're going to you're more likely to make errors. So that's why it is so important that we give back and we really help the well being of our own caregivers. So how do we do that? How do we do that? So well, 
one of the things that we can do is is offer opportunities for um, self care to to really um, stop and think about um, the impacts of the compassion fatigue to understand um, that there's a reason for this exhaustion, and it's not because I'm not good at my job, it's not because I don't care or. I don't have enough to give to my family because I don't love them. There's actually a physiological response when you're stuck in that chronic stress, fight or flight place for long-term periods of time, leading to many of the things that we've said, also leading to depression, anxiety. Um, So helping people to normalize, helping our healthcare workers to normalize that in this very not normal world that we're in, that um, these responses are probably very common responses. Do you find it um, occurring in in one area over another? I mean, I mentioned the frontline workers who I assume, you know, are, are seeing it most often, but that's just my assumption. Am, am I right in that assumption? Or are we, are we finding pockets here, 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 and mm-hmm. here? Is it just across the board? I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's a challenge across the board, but especially in acute care settings like your ICU units, your emergency departments, your COVID units. Absolutely. Um, we are seeing, I, I think over time as the pandemic has gone on, we are definitely seeing um, in behavioral health volumes that we don't even know what to do with. I'll be honest. Um, it, for an example, uh, I know in August, we had our second record-breaking month ever of access trying to get in. We We had over 5,113 referrals to our access department for behavioral health needs. EAP has seen a significant increase in referrals. Um, Our RISE team, uh, our Resilience and Stressful Events team, um, and we'll talk here, I think, in a little bit about what you can do as an organization. Um, We are very fortunate with Community Health Network to have our RISE team. We've seen a 94% increase in requests for referrals from 2019 to 2020 of RISE responses. So it's it's great in one way, right? Because our caregivers are asking for help and we're responding. Um, but it just goes to show the impact as time has gone on. You know, I think that there's been some thought, well, you know, the pandemic, it, it'll, it'll be over with, you know, like there'll be only... We'll be in it just for a few months, and then it'll be over with. But it continues to to go on, and we're seeing kind of that even aftermath. Even though we're still in it, we're seeing the aftermath, the effects that kind of chronic, chronic stress is happening, and we're seeing those effects in behavioral health. Across the board, there's been an impact, but nurses have definitely been impacted to a significant level. Like 38% of nurses have reported burnout. Uh, 43% have reported depressive symptoms. And we're even seeing suicidal ideation in nurses that we haven't seen before. Well, one question I I have when you talk about the the numbers of people that are asking for help, which is fantastic, Mm -hmm. like you said, that they're reaching out for help. But but what kind of a strain then does that put on resources? I mean, Mm -hmm. and then eventually that leads to the people that are helping them. You know, do we have to worry about the same problems with those caregivers? Mm -hmm. Yes, the the stress and and, and the weight of those problems in trying to help. So so how it's kind of it feels like kind of a cyclical situation. Mm -hmm. And, And I think that, you know, when I'm talking to people from different areas, Many of the times that I'm talking to them, they say, I don't think people understand. It's really bad here. My, my team members are really struggling. Um, and that can be 
in ambulatory areas. It can be in acute areas. I think across the board, people are feeling like it, it, it's just really hard. And, um, and it is. It is absolutely cyclical. And that need for the supports to be put into place is even more essential. Yet we're drawing on resources that are already strained. Mm-hmm. I keep thinking in my in my head as I as I read about this or I or we we talk and we have these conversations is somebody that goes off to war, <laughs> like a service member that goes off to war and then comes home and and just the you know we talk about PTSD and or just the stresses of trying to reacclimate when you've been through something over a long period of time. Are there similarities that that, that we can make that we can learn from that to, to help with this, or am I completely off base in making that comparison? I think we're in a place that we don't know what comparisons we can make because we can't even necessarily totally make projections as to where we're going to be in six or nine months. So I think, um, yes, there are probably comparisons. There are comparisons, again, with that chronic emotional fatigue um, and with the withdrawal and um, the, the trauma that people are experiencing, which goes hand in hand with, with compassion fatigue. Um, so absolutely all of those would be experienced in those really intense warlike settings. Um, but I think we're in something that's, that's different. A lot of times people, when they're not doing well at home, work is stable. And when they're not doing well at work, home is stable. And right now, everything's been flipped upside down. Mm -hmm. And so people are just trying to find their balance again, and trying to regain that sense of control and stability. Mm -hmm. And I'll I'll piggyback on that, that, you know, I reference the fact there are volumes into like behavioral health, EAP, and so forth of our caregivers has significantly increased. Even, Even individuals we had been seeing They've destabilized. So even individuals that have been stable for a while, doing well, maybe just coming in and getting like medication management have destabilized. And we're just seeing that, you know, usually we kind of have a nice bell-shaped curve. Um, We're just seeing it skewed and we're seeing acuity like we just haven't seen before. And it's not only just the mental health and the toll it takes, it's also physical health. So when you're making a comparison to like PTSD, you know, you you definitely have the the mental health components, but you have the physical, whether that's like insomnia, uh, whether it be um, in Increased uh, probability to to become ill from any kind of illness because your immune system's compromised. Um, you know, heart disease, uh, type two diabetes. I mean, physically, that chronic stress has had a is having a toll on our caregivers and just even our general population. It really has been something that we just haven't seen before. And I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, it manifests itself in, in, in physical ways. Is it possible that someone may be under duress and not realize it? Or what, So what are some of the signs that, you know, maybe their loved ones should be looking out for to, to see if maybe they need some a little extra help than what I'm able to provide? Yeah, we know that everyone's impacted. But when somebody is um, impacted to the level that they're not functioning as they normally would, Allison talked about sleep, so they're not sleeping at night. Um, changes in eating, um, not enjoying things that they used to enjoy, um, certainly can all be signs and symptoms, but also mood swings, irritability, more anger, more um, 
even thoughts of suicide and talking about that, those are the times that we know we need to, Allison referred to the number, the percentages of thoughts of suicide have gone up. Those are the times we need to make sure that we are getting individuals connected. And if someone is feeling that for themselves, that they're asking for help, that they know there is help available. Um, there are phone phone lines that you can call, there are text lines that you can call, and even just reaching out to somebody who will listen. Um, or if you are somebody who cares about, um, if you've got a loved one or someone you care about that works in the healthcare profession, that you're worried, you're seeing these trends with them, you're seeing this change in mood or change in behavior, then just saying, I'm here to listen, tell me what's going on, and just giving that opportunity for someone to share and truly just listen. And then if they need that extra support, so they are thinking about suicide, they are not sleeping, they're having lots of symptoms of depression or anxiety, helping them to connect with the services that they need, helping them to connect with behavioral health services or crisis services. Mm -hmm. Early on in the pandemic, um, th there was a lot of outpouring of support for our healthcare workers, you know, healthcare heroes. Um, people were providing food, they were having parades, they were just things that show appreciation. Um, haven't seen a lot of that lately. Um, so how much does that play into you know, th their, their mental state of being and, and knowing that they're appreciated, knowing that people see them and hear them and you know, should we, should we revisit that? Absolutely. Um, I, I do think there has been somewhat of a shift in our culture and we are not we are not appreciating our healthcare workers like we once were. And I think that's having a toll. I, I think it's so important, as those that are listening, it's so important to give grace and patience to our healthcare workers. Um, you know, we are seeing such an increase in violence and aggression in our units, um, definitely coming to behavioral health, um, and even family members. I mean, I heard a story of a family member chasing a nurse down a hall in our hospital. Um, we, we need to remember that these individuals are heroes, but it doesn't mean they're superhuman. They are humans, and they have feelings, and they're exhausted. They have been working this entire time to really help protect and serve our community. So we have to remember to give them that, that you know, grace and patience. And I think that we do need to revisit and really try to show appreciation because this has just been a much I, again, I, I think that initially we weren't really sure about how long this was going to affect, but we are in this and it's been a good year and a half, almost two years. We're still in this and our healthcare workers truly are heroes and have been doing this work this entire time. So we have to continue just to appreciate them. And that can be done by just a small thank you. That can be done just by just understanding. And again, just being patient. Patience and kindness and appreciation go a long way with all of us. And so I think that having that perspective, if you, um, when, when you're receiving health care, but even if you have a friend, a neighbor, a loved one, um, being able to just say thank you, thank you goes a long way. Um, and, and it does make a difference. I, I, I love your notion too of patience as part of that. I mean, something as simple as, 
yes, your wait time may be a little bit longer. And I know it's stressful for someone, especially if you're waiting to get care or your child, waiting to get care for your child and you just want them to be taken care of. But just to understand, it's going to take a little bit longer. It's crowded. We're, you know, we, we have people who are it, it may be short staffed or who have been working long hours and, and just try to be mindful of that and, and being patient. Mm -hmm. uh, I mm -hmm. think you're right, would probably go a long way. Absolutely. I mean, they're here to, to help you and to help your loved one. So just just giving them the space in order to do that and just appreciating for all that they are doing. Because, again, our healthcare workers, they're exhausted. We need them. We need them into the future. So just giving that grace and that appreciation really does go a long way. So in order to have the resources, we talked about some of the resources um, that are available and, and, and those a lot of healthcare workers are utilizing or reaching out at least. So what can communities do, small C communities do? What, what should our state and city um, civic leaders be doing? How can we kind of rally around our healthcare workers? What's the, the, the best support as communities we can provide? Well, I, I definitely think it is so important to come together. And, you know, I think we're seeing even more of that of how can we collaborate together um, with all kinds of stakeholders to provide that support, whether that be through funding, whether that be through, again, trying to increase the supports available, such as EAP services, how do we utilize technology, maybe to help with some of that. I know, for an example, we utilize Vital Work Life for our providers in our network. That really is another um, another way for our, our our providers to be able to, you know, offer support and help um, in coaching. Um, I, I think that as, as we go along, it will be increasingly important to really kind of get together and and look at our resources that are available, especially when it comes to emotional well-being. There are things that we have done in our network, and I really encourage any of our healthcare organizations to do, like a RISE response, which is resilience and stressful events. Um, you know, it's it's an immediate, it's peer-driven, but it's to provide kind of a, an immediate response to a crisis. We've been doing that from the beginning of the pandemic. We initiated care groups, and care groups. I mean, we got together with some stakeholders and immediately responded and put together care groups for our ambulatory and acute care settings. And it's really kind of a support. It was a safe space for our for all of our caregivers to come and be able just to kind of process and vent and, and get that support peer to peer. So we put that together um, and then we've utilized RISE for some individual as well as group for debriefing as well as just providing kind of a check-in model. Even our chaplaincy has really become very important. They have been meeting, our chaplains have done a wonderful job meeting with caregivers one-on-one -on -one to talk about any kind of ethical and moral dilemmas. As you can imagine, during the pandemic, um, given limited resources at different times, it's really been a challenge. How, you know, as a nurse, how do I make a, the distinction between what do I give this patient versus this patient when we're limited on, you know, our, our ventilators or we're limited on the different resources? So you can imagine there's a lot of even ethical, moral dilemmas. Our chaplains have been fantastic with being able to respond to that. So I think having just these wraparound approaches and providing that care, um, and again, utilizing technology, whether it be vital work life, we've used Headspace. My strength, again, just to give some other tools in our toolbox for our caregivers and to really help with their emotional well-being. I also think with our community, we live in a phenomenal community of creative and talented people. So um, 
not to limit yourself on how you appreciate and support uh, healthcare workers. And um, I'm always amazed at what what people come up with. And it may be it may be as what feels like small to you as sending thank you cards that could be hugely big and impactful for others. And it may be that you come together with a larger group um, and you do something something larger. There was so much community outpouring of support early on in the pandemic. Um, that can't hurt again. In fact, it can only help. And you know, all of us have been going through this to some degree. So gosh, how good does it feel to think that you're helping somebody else. I mean, that that that's self-serving as well in a good way. I mean, you know, you'll feel good about you know, Absolutely. making somebody else feel good about what they do or, or knowing that they're appreciated, mm-hmm. right? So it helps mm-hmm. everybody. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. In fact, I, I had heard a story um, about, you know, we have it, within our own network, we have a lot of ambulatory caregivers that have been virtual. And there's been such a feeling of isolation and helplessness because they're not on the front line in our acute care settings. And something that I, I heard and I think is such a, a great thing is that, you know, our, our network had established helping hands. And so what I've been hearing from some of our ambulatory caregivers who have been feeling isolated and helpless wow, I can go in and I can give back. That has made me feel so much better about myself and has given me a purpose. And I feel like I'm there to really provide that support to our acute care caregivers. And we should explain Helping Hands um, through Community Health Network uh, is an opportunity for some of the leaders to spend four hours doing a shift, say, in the cafeteria or with EVS, you know, helping clean or, or, or just helping on a unit, maybe be a runner or, or something along those lines and gives you an opportunity, as you said, to, to help in, in areas where they need it, but also to connect in an area you may not have otherwise. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it, 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 it's so rewarding. You know, and if you're especially if you're feeling kind of helpless and you're not really sure what to do, um, it's just one of those things that can make you feel good about yourself and help your, you know, well-being. And so I I really encourage just that giving back goes a long way. It goes a long way for you as well as the caregiver receiving it. You know, a lot of times moments of crises or times of crises um, breed it breeds innovation. Um, and, and it also uh, breeds callings, I think. I think people, do you, do you anticipate people might, uh, young people might be more inclined to want to be a part of the healthcare system or a part of, you know, behavioral health and, and helping people deal with those situations because it's come more to light? Well, we really hope so. The need is great. So I think being able to have those conversations, younger maybe than we've ever had them before, having those conversations when um, kids are still in school, thinking about their career path, um, and really providing career path trajectories for kids um, to really understand as they get older, here's what I could do. I really like caring for people. I like giving back. I like science. What a great combination. Maybe I could go into the healthcare field. Mm-hmm. And that would help healthcare systems as well, right? Developing that pipeline yes. that I know so many tried to do to try to start Absolutely. young and say, hey, let's let's get you into our, into our program. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Pipelines, I think, are really the way to go. 
it, it's kind of a long-term strategy, but whether, you know, I know, again, within our own network, a nursing academy or behavioral health academy or psychiatry residency, it's really to develop that pipeline. And it's, I, I agree with Jenny, it's never too early. And we've been doing some of this in colleges and universities, but even at the high school level, middle school level, starting to really have good intentional conversations about how you can go into this field and give back, how you can help, um, because we're going to need it now more than ever. And do you see more programs, um, more technology, more resources developing as a result of what we're facing through the course of this pandemic? I think a lot of resources have been in in the development phase for years, I think that they're going to come to light. I think more people are going to use those. There are wonderful apps for self-care. There are wonderful um, just those resources. Allison talked a little bit about some of the technology resources earlier. And I think the more that we use them, the more we get comfortable with them, the more we'll drive that need. Bottom line, when we're talking about our healthcare family, what do you want people to know? Final thoughts. They work really hard. And they're very passionate about the work that they do and um, just that appreciation and that patience goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I absolutely agree. You know, our caregivers are exhausted. So please be kind. Give grace. Um, you know, definitely seek help when you need it. And we are here for you, you know, um, across the board. I know that, you know, other organizations, uh, whether it be, you know, again, different behavioral health organizations and so forth, please seek help, but please be kind to the caregivers. Great, great thoughts. Um, I'm just going to suggest if you haven't listened to it, listen to the episode where where we hear from from those healthcare workers um, because it is so impactful. If you ever doubt or aren't sure what they're going through, that will help. But also there, there are plenty of stories out there like that. So look for those stories, hear from healthcare workers themselves about what they're going through. I think that will help us all appreciate it a little bit more. Alice and Jenny, thank you both so much for being here. Thanks for all the work that you're doing as well. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. I'd like to thank our guests for being part of today's discussion and thank you for being part of our journey as we all become better listeners. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please rate and review the podcast. We love hearing from you. I'm Chris Kirshner, and this has been Tell Us Where It Hurts. Until next time.